1: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Kristen Srewer, and you are listening to episode 48. This week, we are joined by someone I have admired from afar for a long time, a woman who is truly courageous and leads her life, business, and family with a value system that strives to make the world a better place. Jessica Honegger is the author of Imperfect Courage, the founder and CEO of the socially conscious fashion brand, Noonday Collection, and host of the podcast, Going Scared. Today, Jessica shares the windy journey that included the adoption of her son from Rwanda and eventually led to starting her business. The business, Noonday Collection, has an incredible mission that I want to share with you. It is to create a flourishing world where women are empowered, children are cherished, people have jobs, and we are all connected. It's a pretty remarkable vision, and Jessica will share a lot more about that vision and her company in today's episode. You'll also hear about Jessica's courage, or how she puts it, courage cornered me, how she chose vulnerability, and her beliefs that we are all meant to create. Jessica is a powerful community builder and a light in this world, and you are going to leave this episode so inspired. Enjoy my conversation with Jessica. Jessica, welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I am so, so happy to have you here today. I have followed you and your journey and your work for many years now, and you're somebody that I admire so much and am so inspired by, and I'm just really, really excited to talk to you today.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I love getting to have conversations with people like you, so this is going to be fun. Awesome.
1: Well, Jessica, I kind of want to jump right in. I and really talk about your story and who you are. I think many of our listeners probably know who you are, but you have a really interesting story about through your career, how you came to start Noonday Collection. And I kind of want to start at the beginning. Let's do it. Okay, that's awesome. Um, And so you have taken a really interesting career path and talk to me
0: about where that started. Gosh, I I wouldn't say I've had a a path. I would say it's been a very windy road. And I, you know, I started Noonday. Really, we were in the middle of an international adoption process, and. My husband and I had two kids the old-fashioned way, and my second kid was 11 pounds, and I had a home birth, and it was rough. And I was like, I hear they only get bigger, and and really, it was like, you know what? It's we. Why do we automatically assume, you know, to have kids the old-fashioned way? What if we were to explore other options? So we began exploring other options, and through just a beautiful story, we're led to Rwanda which is a tiny little country in East Africa. And we started the adoption process. We had a little nest egg. It's pretty expensive to pay for the whole, all of the attorney fees and the international flights and all of that. And we were about halfway through when the recession hit. Um, and then we were working in the real estate market. And when the recession hit, it really was because of, you know, it was a housing you know, disaster crisis in America. And suddenly that little nest egg that we thought could pay for the adoption was paying the grocery bills. So we knew, okay, I'm not going to let a financial obstacle get in the way. We were halfway through this adoption, but we had no money. So I knew I needed to do something. And back in my early twenties, I had spent time working with Food for the Hungry International. So the common thread throughout my life has been, I want to use the opportunity I've been given to create opportunity for others and specifically more vulnerable people. Just I traveled to Kenya in high school and worked in the inner city in um, middle school, and God just really woke me up to the disparities that are in the world. And so, post college, I kept on that trajectory and worked with an organization called Food for the Hungry International. And during that time, one of the clear themes was those that were able to emerge out of poverty um, had an entrepreneurial mindset. And it could have been from, Not only were they weaving clothes for their family, but they were weaving more clothes and selling them at the market on Saturday. Or they were, you know, not just growing corn for their own family, but they were also had a silo and were able to, you know, sell corn throughout the year, even during the seasons when corn wasn't being harvested. So I was living in Guatemala. And so that was a clear theme where I began to really notice, gosh, maybe it's not about charity, but what about business being a way for social change? So that was my heart. And I had met some friends a- along the way with Food for the Hungry who had this same mindset, really were wanting to create entrepreneurial opportunities. And they eventually moved to Uganda where they were creating entrepreneurial opportunities for Ugandans. So I was living in Guatemala in my early 20s. That's how I met my husband was through Food for the Hungry. So you were both
1: in Guatemala?
0: We were both in Guatemala.
1: And what were you doing? What, what work were you doing specifically for Food for the Hungry?
0: So I was a teacher. So I was... I was teaching and I think at the time I thought, you know, I knew that I had this common thread of wanting to create opportunity for the vulnerable. um, And I just kept testing out different ways. So I think I thought, okay, education, certainly that is a system that needs a lot of reform. And so I came back home after Guatemala, Joe and I got married and we thought maybe we'll go back overseas, but I mean, you got to pay the bills, you know? And so his parents had, flipped a house when they had first gotten married. And they said, hey, we'll loan you money if you want to do that. My husband has a construction background. So within the first couple of years of our marriage, we bought a house really uh, inexpensively and flipped it. And then I eventually got my real estate license. And then in the meantime, I also was working on my master's in education because I thought, you know, education is the way to reform, and I still have a heart for the poor. But then, in the meantime, I'm like, we're doing this Chip and Joanna Gaines thing. <laughs> and in the midst of all of that, I have my first kid, and I had this narrative of like, well, my mom is a stay at home mom. Isn't that the only way that I'm going to have kids that turn out decently? Is if I stay at home? So I just had all of these very complex narratives going on. I. I want to do something for the poor. I feel like that's a calling. How do I do that from the United States? I also am creative. I enjoy business. I'm flipping houses. Oh my gosh, now I'm a mom. And am I even supposed to be doing any of this? So that's why I'm telling you the windy road story and I'm telling it in a very nonlinear way Because when you say career path, I think that's something I always, when I would see people that had a clear path, I was always admiring of that. I thought, wow, you know, I have one of my best friends. She did graphic design in college. And to this day, she's now creative director of a company. And that was her path for the last 20 years where I was just windy, 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 and didn't really know or have a clear vision of work. And even if I quite frankly, like if I was like supposed to work when I was in the child rearing days. So fast forward to this financial need of wanting to adopt. um, And we that adoption process actually took us to Uganda. And that's where we met up with my longtime friends who were creating entrepreneurial opportunities for Ugandans. So we were in Uganda actually exploring adoption but I met up with my friends and just got caught up with their lives and they And you were got... just
1: in Uganda that you were there just visiting those friends, exploring the adoption. yeah options. and what worked. what brought you to Uganda? what was why why Uganda initially?
0: I had a couple of friends living there. okay. Yeah. So in fact, that friend I just mentioned, she, uh, who's now the creative director of an organization, she was doing creative design work for a Ugandan organization. So I was going to visit her. Okay. I was going to go visit these other friends. I mean, I love traveling. I mean, get me on a plane (laughs) yesterday. I mean, I love it. So anytime any of my friends have moved overseas or whatever, I'm like, I'm the first to come visit. So we were there, and then Uganda was a possible adoption option, and we just kind of were wanting to try that on. So then I met with my friends who told me about these artisans that they were working with and said they're amazing, they're potential leaders, but they're extremely poor, and they make beautiful things, and they asked if I was interested in selling these things back in the U.S., and I just completely blew them off. I was like, mm-hmm. I've got real estate going on. I've got these two kids. Now we're adopting. Like, really? You think I'm going to go sell accessories, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So a few months later, though, Courage cornered me. We're broke. We still went to, to adopt. And I thought, okay, I could, I mean, I, I'm just going to have to start doing little things to, you know, bring this money in so I contacted my friends in Uganda and, you know, we were still in the middle of flipping houses. And I mean, at this point, by the time I contacted my friends, we were living on putting groceries on the credit card bill and, you know, still had a rental property that was losing money that we couldn't Mm -hmm. sell for anything. Um, so I asked them about, you know, that, that, jewelry that they had told me about. And they said, you know what? It is just sitting in storage and we've already paid the artisans. So why don't you just sell it? Just see, see how it goes. So I was like, great, I'm going to do that. And I went and picked it up out of storage, dusted it off, you know, made my house look like the cutest little boutique in town. (laughs) And reached out to friends. But to be honest, I didn't have a ton of friends at that point. And so I really counted on like my, my friends bringing friends and a neighborhood listserv. And I just was doing everything I could to like get people to show up. And I was still so afraid no one would. And then I was really afraid of what it would mean. I can't really
1: believe you didn't have a lot of friends then. (laughs) I don't buy it.
0: Well, I just you know when you you know when you're in that little baby stage. I don't know if you have kids yet. I do. I have two little guys. Okay, so when you're in that little young stage, and we had just been back from Guatemala a few years, and it's that awkward twenties transition when I was still in my college town, and a lot of my college friends had left, but now I'm having babes. And sure. I just hadn't found my place yet. I and so, I made
1: the. I had kids much later, so. I had one at 35 and then I just had one so I guess it's I guess it's different when you have kids in your 20s versus in your late 30s oh my gosh. with your friend network
0: Any why I have a friend right now actually this is funny that she keeps coming up. It's my friend who's a creative director and she's 38 and she's pregnant with her first and oh I think it's so cool to have babes when you are more established and know what you're doing with your life like that is such a beautiful thing and that was not me you know I was just like I guess I'm supposed to have babies now (laughs) well and because
1: everybody's already gone through it so you just you have your network of people to ask questions and it's like you don't really have to figure it out because it's like oh I've watched you know so many other people do this and I like how they did that or I bet they'll have the answer (laughs)
0: totally it's so awesome so I'm that that is your experience. (laughs) But what's really cool is that was the night that when I invited all these people over, so worried no one was going to come because I wondered if I actually did have friends. And I stood in my living room looking around at all of this Ugandan jewelry. And I thought, I need to call this whole thing off. This is like a dumb idea. I'm going to feel like a loser because no one's going to come. And I didn't cancel, I didn't call it off, even though everything in me wanted to. And that's really where I learned that courage isn't fearlessness. Courage is being afraid and going anyway. Mm. And women did come, they did show up for me. And I knew that night, this could be something. Women are coming together, they're using their purchasing power. They wanted to rally around this adoption. Fashion's fun. It's creative, and so the very next day, I texted my friends and I said, "Man, everything's sold." And they said, "Well, why don't we get you in touch directly with these artisans, and you can just order more?" And I said, "Okay." Wow. And that, yeah, and that's been ten years. And now those original artisans, they, depending on this the season of their work, have anywhere between fifty to hundred full time employees. And we now partner with 30 other artists and businesses just like theirs. We've been able to create sustainable work for thousands of people around the world. Jack is home. My son, he's 11 now. He is amazing. I mean, just, he's brought so much fun and beauty and um, learning into our lives and I've been able to actually have that career path that you asked about, you know, and I never knew that I would. I didn't know that I never could have told you that this this was my shtick. And um, I mean, of course, in retrospect, I can look back and that's so much of what my book is about, which you mentioned that you read in Perfect Courage is being able to look back and see all of these different pieces coming together and weaving this story that I just wasn't aware of. And now it's, it's so clear and I'm so grateful for what I get to be a part of every day and that other women get to be a part of it too. Cause you know, just within about a year of me launching new data collection, mm-hmm. I knew I needed to multiply myself. I couldn't just be me outselling all this jewelry and other women said, I would love to be a part of this. So then we launched the ambassador opportunity, which is basically the opportunity for a woman to get to own their own business in their city and they hold new day collection trunk shows and they grow a new day collection team of other world changers. And we have 2000 ambassadors now around the globe or not around the United States. And so that community, I think about how alone and lonely I felt that first night where I was afraid, do I have friends that are really going to show up for me? And now I think about the sisterhood that I get to be a part of. And that's created a lot. It's it's a lot, a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of choosing vulnerability. But I have that now. And I just hope whoever might be listening, who might feel in that isolated alone part of life or maybe in that angst angsty, I don't have a purpose kind of life or I don't know my career path either. I think you just have to keep making that effort and you get to create the kind of community, like be the friend that you want to have. And keep trying, keep trying these different things. Because if you would have stopped me at anywhere in my 20s, you would have found me, you know, at one point, I worked at a jewelry store. At another point, I was running an at youth mentoring program. At another point, I was living in Guatemala teaching. At another point, I was getting my master's in education. At another point, I was flipping homes. At another point, I was a realtor, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's and I, all of those things have come together to help me cr- do and sustain and create what I've done now. But I never would have known that in my 20s. So sometimes you just, you got to just try and fail and try the next thing and not not be afraid yeah. of that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, well, first of all, I love a couple of things that you said. Courage cornered you. I love how you phrase that of this is how I have to move to the next thing and that you chose vulnerability, but also that courage isn't actually fearlessness. It's a really good way to look at it.
0: Yeah, I think that I always thought courage was for these special heroic people. And I certainly didn't think of myself as courageous, but isn't courage just when you're able to not let all of your fears of outcomes paralyze you. And when you're free to go ahead and move forward, even in spite of your own fears of failure or fears of success, even, or fears of being rejected, all of those things. And it's, it's as we go, and then we grow these courage legs and that's what's so amazing to look back and think back to the things that made me afraid ten years ago. I mean, I don't even bat an eye now. Mm-hmm. You know, I have new new things that, you know, might make me afraid. So
1: Well, and it's almost like the way you told the story that some of your courage was was basically brought up through community right so you had the community of these artisans the community of your friends in uganda the community of the women who came to that first jewelry sale and that that
0: has helped prop up this courage yes yes i mean Courage is contagious, and I think we are more alike than we are different. If you are struggling with something right now and you think you're the only one, you're not. you are I mean, you're special, but you're not that special, <laughs> you know? And I think when you're able to just let people in, that that then becomes this—it's a—it's an addictive way of living, you know? Sure. So, I let someone into that part of me, and they're still here, and— Gosh, I want to let them in even more. And I want to start doing even more brave things. And, mm-hmm. you know, that is um, I think that's when we are able to, to really discover our purpose and our impact. You know, I always say that on the other side of our fears is our impact. And if we let our fears sideline us, keep us paralyzed, if we forever just stay up in our heads, telling ourselves this narrative then we're never going to actually get to materialize what we're meant to materialize in the world because we're meant to bring, we're meant to create, you know, we're meant to walk in that place, whether it's creating an amazing recipe for your family or whether it's creating a business or whether it's creating a brand, you know, whatever it might be, I I do believe we're meant to create. I love that. And I also
1: love so much that you started in Uganda. My husband actually runs an organization that builds schools and runs a fellowship program in Uganda. And so that is a country that's really near and dear to our family. We have many things from Uganda in our home, and um, it's it's a country that means a lot to us. I love that that's where it started. Oh, and God. I can so appreciate your feeling about getting on an airplane because my, I've, my career has been in international development and there is something about that moment of just sitting on the plane, think, you know, ready for your next adventure. And we, yeah. we haven't oh been able gosh. to do it for so long now. And who knows when the next
0: adventure will be. It is crazy. It's a crazy. It world. is crazy. I, I know I went to like eight countries last year and Um, It's hard at the same time, it's been beautiful to come together digitally and even meeting with our partners now on Zoom and realizing how accessible our partners are um, in ways that we had not and and letting them bring their stories to our ambassador community and our customer community has been really great. Now that Mm -hmm. we all sort of have the technology figured out and know how to do it all. So, of course, there's been silver linings, but I will be the first one to get on an
1: international flight. Oh, girl, me too. We, I mean, this is what my husband and I have been talking about. It's crazy how long it's been since neither of us have been on a plane. And, um, yeah, because I was, I guess I was in Kenya last fall. That was probably my last international trip because I was pretty pregnant, <laughs> um, at that time. So I had to sort of stop for a little while and then coronavirus hit. And so it's, um, Yeah. It's crazy. Okay. So you had this trunk show and then when did you adopt your son?
0: We adopted him. I mean, it was about a year after a year and a half, maybe. Well, no, less than that. Um, after our initial trunk show. So, um, but not from Uganda from Rwanda. Okay. Yeah. So Rwanda is where he is from. Uganda, was um a little bit of a dead end for us. and um I mean, we just had crazy confirmation that Rwanda was was where Jack was. so so yeah, and I just took Jack back to Rwanda actually this time last year. I was in Rwanda with Jack. Oh, awesome and yeah, and it was really awesome. and just to get to um, that's what he wanted to do for his tenth birthday, and it was really special. Rwanda' is a really special place. and and um, making sure he stays in touch with his culture is really important to us.
1: How often have you brought him back there?
0: That was the first time. Yeah, oh, that was the that only was the first time. Okay. That, yeah, that was the first time he was like, the, that's what I want to do. We'd been to Uganda a couple of times as a family previous to that. And then we're really close still with our Rwandan attorney and he had come and met us in Uganda. Um, but Jack really wanted He didn't want his brother and sister with him. He wanted it to be his special trip. So we did that. But I'm, I mean, I'm ready to plant.
1: Did you go back to the community where he was living?
0: We did go back and visit the orphanage. Yeah. So yeah,
1: it was good. That's really, really amazing. And how old was he when you brought him home to the U.S.? He was almost three. Almost three. Okay. And what was that transition like?
0: You know, it was, um, I mean, parenting has its challenges and I think it was really crazy because I was at that point after a year of doing Noonday, I realized this isn't just a fundraiser. I mean, it it started as a fundraiser and we, I don't know, after a few months, I'm thinking, I think this is a business. I think this is what... I'm meant to do in my life like this is you know kind of a, an outward expression of all of my inward convictions and talents and but I know that I'm not I don't have a finance background I really don't like operations I mean I was handwriting all of my labels to mail people their jewelry and then I was waiting in line <laughs> at the post office I'm like this is not gonna work <laughs> And even after having like eight ambassadors join me, then I was shipping all their stuff and I'm like, okay, this is, this is a hot mess. I'm about to go bring a third child into my family. How am I going to do this? And so I knew I either needed to raise money or, um, I don't know, find someone that was more operational than me. And during that time, one of my really close, um, a, fr- a friend of mine from high school, her husband, they had lived in Africa and we had visited them um, in our early marriage and we, they were living in Mozambique and he was running a microfinance bank in Mozambique and he really had a heart for entrepreneurship. He came back, he went to the Wharton School of Business, got an, and then he got an international studies minor as well. We just had a lot of kindred spirits and similarities And I started meeting with him just to talk about my business, and he eventually said to me, I've been saving my whole life in order to be able to run a business, and would you be interested in becoming business partners? So that's really when I thought, okay, we are not in fundraising land anymore, we're not in, this is my side hustle, this is a person who's saying, I'm going to live off my savings, because, I mean, we didn't pay ourselves a salary for three years, I mean, Mm, most businesses (laughs) You aren't profitable enough to be able to pay yourself anything. So I just that at that point fear came knocking again. And fear was think was saying, you're about to cause this man and his family to go homeless (laughs) because (laughs) it doesn't work out. You know, you're responsible for that. And that was just another leap of faith for me where I just had to trust that this was the work I was meant to be doing in the world. And Um, he was making this decision and we were both going to just believe in each other. And so he became my business partner. We signed on the dotted line two weeks before I flew to Rwanda with my husband to get Jack. And while, while we were in Africa going through the adoption process, he had moved into our guest bed, like moved all of the, the, our bed, the bedding and all of that out of our guest bedroom. And had set up, like, a shipping department. <laughs> and so I came home. I have this new babe in my arms and college kids in and out of my house who were, like, shipping for the holiday season. And I had a 2-year-old son. Now I had two 2-year-olds. And my 5-year-old daughter. And everyone was Holy working smokes. out of my house. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> I... It, and I came home with the shingles. I came home with the shingles. I, it was just a very crazy time. I look back and I'm like, I don't know how that happened. And it, in the pace, that pace kept up for a while. It really did. Um, and then eventually we got an office space. And I think that was really good for our family when we were able to get an office space and kind of separate home life from work life. Yeah, even though that brought up other challenges for me with the narrative that I had had around work. Um, thankfully, I was able to just let go of that over the years, which is another reason I w- wrote the book, just so that other women I could pave a way for other women to see that you can be a good mom and a good entrepreneur. Those things aren't mutually exclusive. I love so that. yeah, it was a crazy, it was a crazy time, crazy transition, but it was really made crazier because I was running a startup.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so crazy with three kids, a new kid who you're bringing into a completely new culture. At least you weren't handwriting those labels anymore and standing in line at the post oh, office.
0: <laughs> let me tell you. I mean, I, yes, Travis, my business partner, got to, I just handed him everything. I was like, here's all the back end. And we'd still had to jerry-rig a lot of things for a while until we could afford to actually purchase fulfillment systems and inventory management systems and such. And now it's this well-oiled machine, um, which is crazy. And, you know, we just want to grow because we've seen the last 10 years of impact and we know what it can do for a community when there is consistent, regular work for people that's in a dignified setting with strong leaders that are really pouring into their community. Um, I mean, it's, it's not simple. It's not easy. It's not rags to riches or by any means it's a few steps forward and a couple steps back, especially during COVID. And it's been really, really um, I'm sure you, you can understand that, but with these shelter in places that are still in effect in Mm -hmm. India and Uganda, I mean, food scarcity has been a real issue that we've worked with with our artists and partners and, you know, a lot of the people they were supplying to um, had retail stores and that's really dried up. And Mm -hmm. so now they're even more, you know, dependent upon our retail model, which is, you know, we're able to sell online via these new day collection ambassadors. So that's been a beautiful thing just to see our ambassador community absolutely rally and, you know, invite their community in to buy those cute earrings for your zoom calls Yes. And, you know, do a little retail therapy. And we've actually been able to um, beat our 2019 um, as far as our revenue um, from April on. And that is just a testament wow. to me. Yeah. I think it's ambassador community. And I also think, like, God cares for the poor. <laughs> you know? Sure. So, you know, I'm just. Yeah. Really
1: now you that. have artisans from how many countries now?
0: We have artisans in 13 different countries. Awesome.
1: And how do you, how do you go about bringing them into the Noonday Collection? What is that what does that look like? Maybe it's not even typical. Maybe it's you've been introduced to somebody or you've been to a country and you've met an amazing artisan. How do you how do you bring them into your network?
0: Yeah, you know, it has really changed over the years because at the beginning, we were not ordering that many units. And so we were able to take on just a real mom and pop situation and slowly scale together. Now we need immediately several hundred units from the get go and then the ability to reorder those if they sell well. So there needs to be some sort of baseline of the ability to produce a certain number of products. Um, so, we really, I mean, at the beginning it was organic. Like, just like you said, I had lived in Guatemala. So, after about a year of noonday, I was like, I'm going to get on a plane. I'm going to head to Guatemala. I'm going to go find artisans. And I, I did. That's what I did. I went oh, I um, to little villages and found beautiful weavings and then asked to get in touch with the woman who were making the weavings. And I mean, at this point, it's just so gratifying because it's been long term. And I've been able to just see the long-term impact of just consistency and the long-term, the leadership growth that has happened among our partners and just the lessons that are learned through all of this. You know, I think I'm so grateful we had so many years behind us before the COVID hit so that we could draw from some of our past struggles and experiences through this current struggle that we are currently in. And I'm just committed. I'm committed to them. They're committed to us. And at this point, we don't, the the only way we take, we take on new artisans is if there's maybe there's a material that's trending in the marketplace, or there's an area of impact that we're really looking to have maybe on Um, anti-human trafficking, or maybe there's a material we don't have in our line that an an artisan has. Um, And it's scouting. I mean, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's scouting. And, you know, now in the last 10 years, now there's Instagram and there's other artisan brands and now artisans are on Instagram and um, people reach out via our website. And and, yeah, there's definitely a lot of different ways to find artisans. I think finding artisans that um, can scale and that are really in it for the long term, that's that's more the challenge. Mm-hmm.
1: Are all of your artisans women or is it a mix?
0: It's a mix. Okay. Yeah, it's a mix. Our vision is to create a flourishing world where women are empowered, children are cherished, people have jobs, and we are all connected. And we know part of women being empowered is men um, also being able to elevate women. Mm-hmm and so we've really been able to see that happen but um about 75% of the people we partner with are women that's a beautiful mission thank you it is it's it's a mission that keeps me every day working with passion and vision because it's we'll never reach that goal you know mm-hmm. um but we'll always get closer to it and um and I've seen that, you know, I've really seen that happen. And I really, it applies to the women that partner with us here as well. You know, I've seen women be able to step into places of their flourishing. And, um, yeah, I was just talking with an ambassador last week who, who said, oh, my husband is so pro me doing Noonday because it just makes me happy. And, you know, I, I think especially right now with COVID, being able to pour some of your stress into something that has purpose is really great. And also people are at home a lot more, and this is a great job to do from home. It's creative. It's fun. It connects you to a community. It connects you to the globe. So I think that's also been interesting as we've seen more people become new ambassadors this summer than we did last summer. And I think that's just because this really meets a current human need right now in our own backyard. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I'm curious about you were talking about the struggles that you faced early on in noonday collection that you were thankful that you had
0: before coronavirus hit. Can you give me an example of one of those? One of them was in 2015 when we had way over projected our inventory and we had been growing so quickly that we didn't even know how to project, you know, how many more ambassadors would join the next month. So, We had overordered and we're sitting on a million dollars of excess inventory. And one of the things that we do is we place consistent orders every month um, or we have certain production schedules set up with artisans to create that consistent work for them. And it just dried up. I mean, we're sitting on a mountain of inventory. How could we place new purchase orders with them? And so then suddenly they're not getting this income and then we didn't get in front of it as far as a communication standpoint with our ambassadors. We were still like newbies trying to figure out this problem. And then a couple of ambassadors got word um, from an artisan who was really afraid. And so it just looked like Noonday was failing on our mission. And these ambassadors began to assume negative intent and um, actually get on the phone and tell other ambassadors they should quit because Noonday isn't who they say they are. And it was really, I thought, okay, this is it. You know, we, uh, how are we going to get out of this inventory glut? And now our community doesn't trust us. So we immediately had a conference call that was just, you know, open-ended, ask us whatever, full transparency. um, And then we worked through, it took a while to build up this trust again with these artisans that didn't come to us, but went to the ambassadors. Um, but now, you know, they are, I mean, it's, it was our first artist in part, Jolly and Daniel and I write, I write about this in the book. And I think that's been part of our learning as well. And, um, I think when you work, especially with people who grew up in poverty, there's just so much fear that, um, There's a lack of it's like if you I mean, Jaya always says, if you have breakfast, you're not going to have lunch, you know, and if you eat lunch, you know, you're not going to get dinner. And just that day to day mentality has been one of the hardest mindsets to really break and to build trust in people that we are going to continue doing this and. This, we're not leaving, abandoning anyone. Like this is our mission. This is our vision. So we need to have mutually shared trust in order for a business partnership to be effective. Um, that, and then with our ambassador community, um, just being able to really, we created a, a manifesto after that situation. And we have more of this code of contact, conduct where we make positive assumptions about each other mm. and we don't talk, you know, as in we don't chatter, we act, you know, we don't judge, we do, we create compassionate spaces of love and belonging for ourselves and for others. Um, so now we really have a culture of really radical transparency. Um, so now if that does happen, um, which it still does, of course, I mean, I think that First of all, it's direct sales and that has just a horrible reputation for being, you know, Ponzi schemes and ex- exploited and get rich quick, you know, mentalities. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you throw a social impact in there and it's like, are they really who they say they are? I mean, you know, um, and we still get that. We don't get it very much, um, but I'm just, gosh, we are so full <laughs> of integrity and, you um, and how we do business. I'm so proud of that. And so when COVID hit, um, and we're, yeah, I mean, we're saying, okay, guys, like this is what's happening to our inventory situation. Here's what's happening. And then even with like production has stopped, like halted. So we couldn't even get, I mean, we still are back ordered on some things that has not gotten to us from India, but because we have this culture now of just, radical transparency and communication and trust we have been able to just really walk hand in hand i mean not even hand in hand but just shoulder to shoulder linked arms um, and leaning into each other with all of our stakeholders our ambassadors our artisan partners and our new day hostesses those people who are saying sure i'll have a shopping event for my friends and together that has been, I mean, this has been the most gratifying time of my entire career to have us weather a, the biggest crisis of my lifetime so far and to have us actually be stronger through it Mm -hmm. is amazing. And then just to know that my leadership was at a place that could handle this Mm and um, that I could knew that, you know what, I'm just going to be faithful. This is what I meant to do in the world and I'm just going to keep doing it. Um, so I've been able to walk through it with my own integrity intact, which has been amazing.
1: And courage.
0: And courage, lots and lots of courage.
1: I love your code of conduct. Can you imagine if everybody in the world just went through life with that code of contact in every interaction that they had, whether it was at work with their in their home, with their partner, with their children, with the
0: mailman, with the store owner? Yes, absolutely. And you know, I um, my podcast uh, with Susan C. It's the final podcast in my digital health series she really talks about having the importance of having those about family values and defining those family values. Mm -hmm. And we do that as a corporate. I mean, our corporate company has values, you know, purposeful, adaptable, collaborative, and then, you know, our manifesto with the ambassadors. And it just gives you such a strong backbone to be able to say, to come back like this is who we are. You know, and when you find yourself out of line, out of integrity with that, you're always able to point back to it, you know, and you're able to point and say, this isn't feeling good because this isn't collaborative or this isn't this. And, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot in my family in terms of even technology of like, why am I, why do we have such boundaried we, we just have a lot of boundaries, technolo- technology boundaries in our family, um, apparently more than other uh, of my friends' family, of oh. my kids' friends. <laughs>
1: so. I listened to your and first episode with Tracy Foster. I haven't listened to the second one yet, the one that you recorded with her before, coronavirus, yes. and everything that she was saying on there about some of those digital boundaries were was resonating big time for me but i'm very curious to hear what she says on the next side of it when
0: i know she gave a little more grace the next one was really good because again we talked more about values that that was the exact conversation with her and then susan is sharing even more. And, you know, it's just really powerful when you can say your kids like, ah, well, my friend's able to do this right now. And how come I can't? It's like, well, because we're a family that chooses adventure and curiosity. We (laughs) love being adventurers. How can we adventure today? You know,
1: (laughs) I love that. That's awesome. (laughs) Well, Jessica, we are at the end of our time together I could talk to you for hours and I'm so moved by your career the what you have built at Noonday the passion that you have your outlook your mission and I'm just so grateful for this time to learn more about it and just thank you for what you do for these communities and for the community here within the U.S. and for the courage that you show so many people who have the privilege to, to watch your business and you and follow you. So thank you for that
0: so much. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing. It really, it's, you know, it's why we're able to exist because people like you've captured our vision and that's deeply meaningful.
1: Well, thanks. And I want to just ask you, we have a couple end of podcast questions that I want to, ask you before we close our time together. Um, So the first question is, you know, you are somebody that illuminates in so many ways and we ask all of our guests, who's somebody that illuminates in their life?
0: I am going to think about my daughter, Mm. my daughter illuminates and I'm so proud of her. She is what she says she is. Like there's no beating around the bush with her and she is able to really be brave and how she shows up in the world so she definitely illuminates
1: well she certainly has a strong mama that is paving a beautiful way for that
0: wow well, it's fun I'm it's fun having a teenager it really is
1: that's awesome and then I'm going to put in our show notes your amazing book imperfect courage but what is another book recommend recommendation that you
0: have you know, I just read stamped from the beginning and I don't want that to freak anyone out because it is, it's 450 pages and I meant to order the young adult version of it and the actual version arrived and I was like, ha ha, I'm never going to read it. But I went ahead and thought, you know what, I'm going to just at least read the first chapter and it, it was riveting. It's, it's really the history of America through an anti-racist and racist perspective and it has just given so much context to the conversation that's happening right now in our nation. And so I would highly recommend that book. And especially now with Hamilton being out, I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm getting into history right now. I just watched this whole John Adams series that came on several years ago on HBO. i am like, We blew up a huge screen in our backyard and watched Hamilton last weekend, and then my husband and I, I finished that book and then my husband's reading it now, so I would recommend it.
1: Oh, awesome. That's a great recommendation. And then lastly, what is your message for the world?
0: My message for the world is courage is not fearlessness. It's being afraid and going anyway, and on the other side of your fears is your impact.
1: Thank you, Jessica, for all that you do in the world to create and to make the world a better place. And thank you for listening in to the Illuminate podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much and have a wonderful week.